With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in business into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. Hello, Edith here. You're listening to Soundtracking, the podcast about the joys of screen music. Fancy an alternative to banking? Try Tide, the nimble banking service which saves small businesses time and money. Quick mobile setup, automated bookkeeping and invoice assistant are just some of the appealing features that you can get access to. Sign up for a free account for six months, then it's pay-as-you-go with no monthly fees ever. To take up the software, just use the promo code soundtracking at tide.co forward slash soundtracking. If you like your movies lavish, dreamy and dripping in nostalgia, you could do a lot worse than turn to the work of Italian director Luca Guadagnino. Luca's a filmmaker with a sensitive touch, capable of making the very specific set of circumstances in the stories he tells seem personal and relevant to us all. Music, of course, has proved most useful when achieving this recurring tone, not least in A Bigger Splash, which starred Tilda Swinton as a world-famous rock star and Ray Fiennes as a larger-than-life record producer. His latest offering is the stunning Call Me By Your Name. Set in Italy, the film chronicles the relationship between 17-year-old Elio and his father's American student Oliver, who spent a heady summer living with the family in 1983. Suffice to say, I'm not alone in loving it, with critics already bigging up its chances come awards season. Luca tends not to use conventional composers in his work, though Sufjan Stevens has written two original cues for Call Me By Your Name, both of which you'll hear shortly. But for the most part, he relies on source music, and given that the character Elio is a pianist, Luca sprinkled the narrative with piano compositions by the likes of John Adams and Ryuchi Sakamoto, as well as this beautiful interpretation of Ravel's Un Barque sur l'Océan by André Laplante. Luca, congratulations on this film and thank you for talking to us on Soundtracking. Wonderful for me to talk to you. Oh, this film is just beautiful. It's a work of art, I think. All the elements to it that just bring it to life and you're completely embroiled in this story and these characters, it's beautiful. And music has a really interesting journey within this film as well. I wanted to ask you about how much music was written into the screenplay. In the first place, uh, the music is uh, one of the protagonists of the book by Andre Asiman because Elio Perlman is a pianist in bloom and he is constantly described as someone who's relentlessly speaking about music, playing the piano, transcribing music, and we try to encompass that in the way we portray Elio in the movie.
clearly for us was important that uh, all this uh, kind of uh, erudite uh, upbringing of the character was not supposed to feel a sort of entitled upper lip heavy kind of uh, you know, a description from our end. Yeah. We want it to be alive and as, uh, uh, you know, um, tentative as a young man can be, also by, by playing back. Mm-hmm. One thing I learned is, because I met a few people like that works in orchestras, in great classical orchestras, these guys, they talk about football, like they, they, they are like normal people. They're not like all elevated people who only talk about high culture. And that was important for us. The other element that was always in the script is the song by the Psychedelic First, Love My Way. That was something I really strongly wanted to have because it was for me a beautiful anthem from a great band that in the 80s were at the peak of their fame. that uh, sparkles uh, Oliver quest for some sort of self-fulfillment and it's a sort of secret trigger uh, of his own emotional journey. So those were the elements that were already on the page. When you say about that emotional trigger, because up until that point, like you say, you, you see a different side to his character, to Oliver's character, as soon as this music is introduced. It's almost a freeness that you haven't seen before. In fact, uh, I think what I like about this movie is that it's a movie about someone who transforms him or herself in the gaze of the other. So in this scene when Elio is staring from far in a sort of moody way, Oliver dancing uh, with uh, Chiara, but then the sound of Love My Way hits the disco floor. Elio sees Oliver transforming and instead of staring back, he decides to go in action himself and starts to dance himself. And this is because of what he sees in Oliver. Did you play it on set? Was it being oh, yeah. played on, on? You know what you do technically, you have to do rehearsals and then, and then you have to play but just the beginning and then you shut down the music and they have to dance uh, silently because afterwards you put back the music to record the sounds yeah. of the body movements and stuff so it's a very high task for the actors yeah it's like silent disco what point do you start thinking about music in your filmmaking is it before you start shooting is it after is it sometimes during? you have an image in mind like oliver dancing at psychedelic first Sometimes you have a general intuition, like the soundtrack has to be composed mostly by piano pieces because Elio is a pianist. Sometimes you have a necessity. It's a movie about the summer of the 83, and so you need to put music from the radio that is this music of the period. Yeah, like that track Paris Latino by Bandolero, where they're all playing volleyball. Certainly. I love that scene. Bueno. 
like uh, asking a wonderful contemporary songwriter singer uh, Sufjan Stevens yeah. to to sing and compose a song Your conversations with Sufjan for the film? I don't remember my conversations. I remember we were talking about the self-discovery of this film. I'm very shy when it comes to conversations about my work. Oh, to see without my eyes The first time that you kissed me Boundless by the time I cried I built your walls around White noise, what an awful sound Fumbling by river Feel my feet above the ground Hand of God deliver me Oh, go always me The first time that you touched me Oh, the wonders ever seen like a fraud because I reckon there are people who are very articulate and they can process a very articulate exposition of their ideas to someone who they want to collaborate with whether it's an actor a composer but honestly oh, in the process of making something I just have not all the elements to display so sometimes I'm really like almost frustratingly obvious like oh yeah it's a movie about two kids falling in love it's self-discovery <laughs> uh, uh, you know, like yeah, yeah, yeah. how much sorrow can I take? Blackbird on my shoulder, and what difference does it make when this love is over? Shall I sleep within your bed? process even if our process mine and Sufian together has been something that was weaved in a very subtle way through three four meetings on the phone I think also Sufian is a man of very few words so those three laconic conversations we had they helped both of us to go into the direction we wanted to go 
Why him? Well, I wanted to have a sort of narrative voice that was adding itself to the voices of the characters and the plays. That was like on top or around everything. And I so decided to work with a contemporary artist in order for having this voice enveloping the movie. I have loved you for the last time. Is it a video? Is it a video? I have touched you for the last time. Is it a video? Is it a video? When the film opens, we have this beautiful music that introduces the film as well, which is that's, is that's, uh, that's John Adams. Oh, is it? That's John a Adams. beautiful piece from Stunning. John Adams. Yeah, a famous, glorious piece of piano of, or by John Adams uh, um, that he composed, I think, in 1975 wow. or something like that. Yeah. Uh, I spoke to a friend yesterday that watched saw the movie. and said, "I don't think this is a, a lounging movie." It's a modernist movie, it's all staccato, it's all angular. And I like that, and I think that the, the, you, you are introduced to that attitude by the beginning of the movie, starting with this what we say in Levare, piece from John, which comes twice in the movie. used in another film or just a piece of music that, that he had that's part of his kind of repertoire? John has never wrote any music for, for film. John Adams is uh, probably the great American composer alive. Yeah. Comes from the minimalist and becomes uh, uh, basically his own, his own, his own canon. Yeah. Uh, and uh, he has uh, worked on uh, so much uh, 
Did he not work on Birdman and, and Shutter Island and stuff as well? Or am I getting confused? John Adams was used one piece in Shutter Island, Island. one piece in Birdman, Birdman but yeah. I, I must say with a little bit of coquettishness that the first time that his music has been extensively used by uh, a filmmaker in a movie is by me in I, I Am Love. love. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, and, uh, um, I want to tell you the name of the piece because now it's not in my mind, but yeah. I don't remember it. But anyway, yeah. So John Adams uh, never made any soundtrack for any movies. Well, maybe one day I will convince him. Maybe. Please do. Well, that's the kind of I love the, the relationship that's there and the fact that you've used his music in the past. I used his music in, uh, in I Am Love. A Biggest Splash, Call Me By Your Name. <laughs> I even use his music on a documentary I made called Inconscio Italiano. I don't know. There is something about his music that clicks into me. Can we talk a little bit about a bigger splash as well? That oh be yeah, okay? because music is ah, obviously. I've been here two years ago speaking about yeah. the biggest splash. Music is a huge part of this film and the relationships, and obviously Marianne's character. And this has got a wonderful connection with the Rolling Stones. This film as well, in terms of I believe that they were involved in in the script and and, and well they weren't with... involved in the script we gave them the script to read and approve any references to them and yeah. they approved the references they gave us a little bit of a note which was great because there was a guy that wasn't mentioned in the monologue of harry and they yeah. said you should add this person because he was there too so we did that sylvie do you know this album i can tell you a little story about my contribution to rolling stone's history just after Daryl came in, and I was working with Don Smith, who'd done a lot of Keith solo stuff with me, and we're at Windmill Lane in Dublin. I remember it's raining, non-stop Irish rain, wouldn't fucking stop, and I was quitting smoking, so it's coffee, coffee, coffee. And this song, which you are going to hear, it just wasn't fucking working. Keith is insisting no drums, you know, and we're working away, and I think, no, no, I, I go to Keith and I say, OK, so can Ronnie do a track on pedal steel? He goes, yeah, but no drums. So I'm thinking, what the fuck? So I give Mick... Castanets. So you've got Chuck Lovell on the harmonium, and everyone is folding in all this beautiful shit. But this song is not taking off. So I say to Keith, do you trust me? He goes, yeah. Said, if I promise no drums, can we do a percussion track? He says, what's Charlie going to play? And I'm thinking, yeah, what is Charlie going to play? But I'm asking myself, what's the sound? Something not too crisp. And I look over, and I see in the corner... Wait, what is it? What is it? Wait, listen, what is it? It's not a drum. Fucking trash cat. <laughs> so I brought Charlie out in the stairwell. We put a mic 
three floors up, and Keith's taking me second, he knows I'm right. Some of Charlie Starr's banging on it. We're off! from them, from a band like that, that are kind of part of the background. I, I learned the lesson that the greatest is the, the personality of the person that you want to uh, approach. The most uh, open, generous and humble is the person. That's nice. I like that. Choices of contemporary music that's in this film, though. What were those choices based on? You know, there's a bit of Captain Beefheart in there, there's a bit of Harry Nilsson in there as well. There is a level of nostalgia, but also a great level of energy and manicness. So those pieces for me gave those two feelings. And do you choose those before filming, or is that in the editing process? Harry Nilsson was during the edit. And is that because you're looking for something to help with tempo or pace of the film or emotion, or is it a combination of all of it? Harry Nilsson, I think it's about rock and roll. Captain Beefheart was before <laughs> the edit. Captain Beefheart, I thought it was a very lounging, uh, melancholic piece about this couple. And it was great to start the movie with that image by watching another couple on screen. Uh, and I loved that song very much. While the city was busy, we wanted to rest She decided to drive up to Observatory Crest We just saw a concert and heard all the best We went on a ride We got outside The sand was hot She wanted to dance We went round and round 
saw flying saucers and all of the rest. Palms in high Spain from observatory crest. While the city was busy, we wanted to rest. She decided to drive up to observatory crest. We just saw a concert and heard all the best. So the only thing to do was to drive up and watch the city from Observatory Crest. With the music within that and in terms of how you kind of incorporated these tracks that were then reworked by performances from your cast, be that, you know, in, in huge situations or more intimate situations, was there lots of rehearsal in that and how did you No, I don't it? rehearse. Are you talking about Call Me By Your Name or A Bigger Splash or in general? And bigger Splash in particular, yeah. No, we don't rehearse. We, we, we made a read through of the script and then we started making the film. What else have we got? Aha, okay, this is tops. of those performances, you know, when, when Tilda has to sing or when Rafe has to sing and perform, but those rehearsed? No, 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 no. Tilda studied a bit, but then she went there and she did it. That's great. Tell me if I'm wrong, but I read that Rafe, when he first read the script, one of the attractions to him was where his character had to express himself through dance. It was a real attraction to him because he'd never done that as part of a role before. So do you think that sometimes that's what actors love, is where they are not challenged, but they're given situations where it does encourage them to do something different? I still have to figure out what's the mind of an actor, to be honest. <laughs> you probably never want to, though. <laughs> or, I, I, or maybe I don't want to figure it out, yes. <laughs> yeah. Am I right in thinking that the concert that we see within the film, you filmed at San Siro at a Gio yeah, Giovanotti we concert? We did. Giovanotti was so gracious and so elegant and so welcoming. He gave us his stage to shoot that scene, which is unparalleled. And I am still thankful and humbled by his generosity. 70,000 fans in the San Siro. Yeah, amazing. <laughs> How is Tilda with that? She had to go out there as this character and she's one of the best performers in the world, but in front of that many people. I, I, I tell you something, we went on the stage before shooting to tell the crowd what we were going to do and I went with Tilda and I can tell you that we were terrified before getting out and the second we went out it was quite intimate. I realized for this very brief moment how fantastic and powerful it is the relationship between the rock star and the audience. Yeah. Because it's like, it's one and one. It's like the multitude it makes into one and the one artist and it's so 
powerfully intimate. I think it's fantastic. Maybe when I be born again, I want to be a rock star myself. <laughs> For you personally, are there films or pieces of music or composers that resonate with you that when you were starting to become a film fan, when you started watching film, that you remember making an impact and you having a realisation of how important music can be within film? Of course. Certainly, I would say I was influenced very strongly by, in this order, I would say by Bernard Herrmann. I remember still today the moment in which I saw for the first time Psycho, and that was really, for me, an experience. Goblin and uh, Simonetti. Suspiria. Yeah, fantastic. is a great, 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 great influence. Jack Nietzsche as a composer was really important to me. Of course, he did one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Yeah.
Then in growing up, uh, at the age of 14, I started to be exposed to Sakamoto and that became a huge, huge, huge influence in my life uh, till today and probably I'm going to work with him next. Well, I hope to work with him because it's divine. <laughs> it's just on your wish list. It's on my wish list <laughs> with a little bit more than wish. That's very exciting. What I love about your filmmaking is that you don't tend to follow those kind of, not that there are rules, but the traditional sense of using composers. Doesn't well, feel what's like... the excitement if you use a composer for what it is? You know, like, I think you have to challenge them, you have to make them be... By the way, Sakamoto specifically, he's not just a music composer, he's a composer at large. He's a contemporary composer, he's a pop song singer and a pop writer. Uh, he's divine, like, he's uh, such a complete and complicated personality. Um, Luca, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, thank you so much. Congratulations for your film again. Thank you. Thank you. Soundtrack to Call Me By Your Name. That's May in the Backyard by Ryuchi Sakamoto. Rounding off this latest episode of Soundtracking, this week brought to you by our friends at Tide Bank. My huge thanks to Luca for taking the time to talk to us. Call Me By Your Name is on general release in the UK now and very soon elsewhere if it isn't already. You can find a Spotify playlist for this show by heading to edithbowman.com, which is also the place to subscribe to the podcast and catch up with all of our previous episodes. Follow us on Facebook, 
Instagram and Twitter. We are at Soundtracking UK and please do spread the word if you like what you hear. We're also very excited to be bringing you our first ever Soundtracking Live as part of the BFI's The Big Thrill season. We're very much looking forward to chatting to award-winning composer Lorne Balfe. For tickets to the event on Saturday the 11th of November at the BFI at 4.10pm, just head to our Facebook page and you can find a link there. Next up is Yorgos Lanthimos, whose new film, The Killing of a Sacred Deer, is a most challenging and disturbing beast, but equally fulfilling. I very much look forward to the pleasure of your company then. Mm -hmm. 